we got to give God praise for what he's done, what he's done for us, that a hundred billion failures can disappear at the sound of his voice. I mean, I got some failures that need to disappear. You know what I'm saying? You know, we all have our stuff, but God has been so faithful all this time, and all we have to do is trust in him. That's it. And it sounds so easy, but at the same time, it's very hard for us to do. You get what I'm saying? But anyways, let's, uh, let's pray before we get started. Father God, we, uh, Lord, we come here this morning, Lord, and, and Father, we just want to hear your voice. This isn't just some, some Sunday, Lord. We, we came here not out of routine, but we came here to hear from you. And Lord, we want to be in your presence. And Father, we just pray that right now that you just send your Holy Spirit into this place. And Lord, that you would just help us understand your word this morning. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. All right. So uh, I want to I start by asking you a question. Um, have you ever... Have you ever asked God a question, but you didn't like his answer? Yeah, yeah? maybe a time or two. I, I was thinking about this, and I'm going to kind of share a, a testimony with you from this week. But uh, I can just give you an example with graduations and stuff coming up, or that had just happened. It kind of got me thinking. And I can remember uh, being a senior in high school, and whenever I was graduating, I was asking the Lord, I said, I was actually sitting in the sanctuary, and I said, Lord, do you want me to play college golf? It was something that I had dreamed about since I was a little kid. I'd thought about for a long time, worked hard to do it. And I said, Lord, do you want me to play college golf? And he said, no. And I thought, that isn't the answer that you're supposed to give me. <laughs> you know, you get what I'm saying? And it was one of those deals where it's like, well, I guess I shouldn't have asked. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like one of those things where, you know, like a, a husband goes to his wife and says, hey, can I go fishing today? And she says, no. It's kind of one of those things like, well, if I had just left and I didn't ask, she would have never, she probably would have enjoyed that I was gone and not know that I went fishing. You know what, you get what I'm saying? Sometimes we ask questions and uh, we already have the answer, what we want the answer to be already perceived in our mind, right? And I got to thinking about this, about the college golf example, and had I done that, there's a few things that came into play. One, I wouldn't be standing here in front of you today. Two, I wouldn't be married to my lovely wife. Three, I probably wouldn't have went to Africa last year and probably wouldn't be going back uh, this year. So been around the world will be twice now. And... Uh, you know, I wouldn't actually have graduated college until next spring. And I think about this, and since I was a little kid, I already had perceived in my mind what my hands could do and what I wanted to do with my life. But you see, the life that I had planned for myself was not one that would satisfy me, but the plan that the Lord had already set thousands of years ago was the one that would fulfill me. Do you get what I'm saying? And I feel like in, in, our, in our prayer life today, in our daily life today, we're approaching God in a way that we already know the answer that we want him to give before we even ask the question. It's like, God, I need you to confirm what I'm doing, not, not direct what I'm doing. 
Does that make sense? Because we're, we're control people. You know, we have perceived in our mind what's good and, and what we should do and all this different stuff. But I'll tell you that the Lord has different plans. You can do good things, but them not be the thing that God wants you to do. And you're going to figure it out because you're going to find yourself empty. You're going to find yourself tired and worn out and all this different stuff because the life that God calls us to live isn't some, some boring life that they talk about. You know, if you're a Christian, you know, you're just boring all the time, yada, yada, yada. But it's a life that's fulfilled. You know, it's a life that's happy. It's a life that's joyful. That no matter what circumstance, nor, nor height, nor depth, nor angel, nor demon, no uh, yada, 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 there's nothing that can separate me from the love of Christ. And no matter what I endure, no matter what circumstance life throws at me, I always have him. And there's joy even in the suffering. And the reason that I, I bring all this up is because maybe, maybe you guys can uh, identify with me, I guess. But I had a, had a week this week that whenever I started the week, I was like, you know, I don't think there's any possible way that I can physically get everything done that I need to get done. Because I'm, I'm leaving for, uh, for Liberia on Monday, and we actually have a team that's already in Albania, and they left. If Troy, if you want to stick up that, or I guess that's normal, if you want to stick up that picture, we got an Albania team who's already uh, landed in Liberia, and they've been uh, preaching the word. And I think there was one more picture of, yeah, Kent preaching, you know. I'm sure he's talking about the Vikings or something there. Uh, something good, sharing, sharing a word. But, I mean, they're already on the ground, and they're doing stuff, and, and our Liberia team's getting ready to leave on Monday, and we're going to be on the ground doing the same thing. Well, in the... In the in the mix of all this, I'm thinking about, you know, all the stuff that I need to prepare for while Kent and I are both gone, because Amy's holding down the fort, so, you know, if you need something, you need to call Amy. You know, don't be trying to call us. I'm, I'm out of reach. I can't hear you in Africa, all right? And uh, so I'm thinking about all this stuff that, I, that we, I need to have laid out so that Amy doesn't have to do everything, because Kent and I are both gone, and all that stuff, and trying to get everything lined out, and I'm thinking about all this stuff, and then I'm thinking about all the personal things that I got to do, and I just, this list of things just keeps, feels like the more that I get done, the longer that my list gets. You know, you start checking stuff off, but then you realize at the bottom, it just keeps getting longer, and you're flipping pages, and, and uh, it gets crazy, and I just felt like, you know, and I finally just said, you know, I was like, you know, God, I, I know you called me to Oakton. I know you called me to go to Liberia. I know that these personal things that I need to deal with are, are gifts that you've given me. And I feel overwhelmed that I can't get all this done. And you know what I felt the Lord told me? Great. And I thought, hmm, okay, that's comforting. And, uh, <laughs> and so I'm trying to figure this out. And... And finally, I just said, you know, I, I got to go. I got to start doing stuff. And so I get on my way, and I was actually going to, to see someone in Joplin. And uh, on the way, I really felt like the Lord showed me why he gave me the answer that he did. And it was because he said, and I'm, you know, 10 and 2, driving down the highway, right? I'm looking at my hands. And I feel the Lord tells me, Lannon, your hands can only do so much. I've only gifted you with so many things. 
you know, I, I can't be here and in Carthage at the, th- at the same time. I can walk from there to there, but I can't be preaching to you and running a marathon outside at the same time, right? There's only so much that I've been given with my hands the ability to do. And he said, what you need to understand is that my hands laid the foundations of the world that you live in. I created it all. The path that you're walking on, I laid for you to walk on thousands of years before you were even here. And so I'm thinking about all this, and, and he goes, you know, you, you've met the point to where your ability can't do any more. And the reason that I say that's great is because the life that I called you to live wasn't one of you to do it all on your own, but was for you to trust in me and to walk with me. And I feel like we live in a generation and a time where we only do the things that we think that we're physically able to do, right? So if I'm sick, my hands aren't physically able to heal me, so I'm going to go to a doctor and maybe the things that he's able to do with his hands, he can heal me. But it never occurs to me that in 1 Peter 2, 24, it says that by Christ's stripes, I was healed. You know, there's a, we, we gleam to what we can see physically that might help, but we never look to the one who created it all. You know, and I, let me give you an example. You know, there may be things that, uh, that you're doing where, like I said, you may call a doctor for healing or whatever, like, uh, the other day, I was at the lock-in, and somehow, Rustin Crockett got me stuck on a basketball team at midnight. And uh, I got to tell you, I was out of breath, and uh, at one point, Jonathan Collins is sitting on the sideline laughing at me because I'm breathing so hard, and he says, you know, I got an oxygen mask over here if you need one. And uh, so maybe I'm, maybe I'm not the person that you call if you need someone to play basketball with, but uh, I'm telling you, we gleam so much off of what our own physical hands can do. But very rarely do we say, you know, God, I want to do what you want me to do. Do you get what I'm saying here? And I got to tell you, the Lord provided for me so much this week through all the crazy stuff that I needed to get done. I can't even tell you all the all the ways that the Lord provided for me. There was literally one time where I said, Lord, there isn't enough time today for me to get all of this done. There, it, it, there's no way. And I literally felt like the Lord shifted time or whether it was the divine appointments that he made that made things move quicker, whatever it was, it literally felt like time got bent that I got to get all the stuff done that I needed to get done. And you know, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way until we come to an understanding of, hey, I don't have to get it all done on my own. And that no matter what circumstance I have, no how stressed out I am, no matter what stuff's coming, and we say, you know, my hands can only do this, God's saying that I am bigger, and I am stronger, and I am your provider, and I've been here the whole time. Just look to me. Are you guys awake? Eight o'clock service wasn't awake this morning. I'm going to need some woke people today. I told them first service they didn't wake up. I was going to start doing like ninja kicks up here or something real impressive like. It's impressive. 
Okay. But you know what? As all throughout time, the Lord, you see him in the, in the Bible, he has been uh, the healer. He has been the provider. He has been good. He has been faithful. He has been all of these things. So I'm not sure how we get it in our mind that the Lord isn't going to see us through just the same. But we get so caught up in, in today and the stuff that we got to do that we don't realize that literally the path that we're walking on was laid thousands of years before we were even in existence. The path that the Albania team's walking on, we talk about, you know, Lord, go before us. He's already there. He's already been laying the path. He hadn't just been laying the path the week before we go. He's literally been laying the path for thousands of years for us to walk on. But we have to trust and walk in the way and direction that he wants us to walk and not in the way and direction that we think that we should go. Because we've got to approach God differently than we have been. We can't approach him saying, okay, God, I need you to give me this answer specifically. You know, We need to say, God, what do you want me to do? And uh, I want to read you a quote, and it's by John Wesley. You know, I found it where all you find uh, good quotes found on Facebook. And, uh, but John Wesley is uh, uh, the founder of our uh, Methodist system here, and I think this quote might, uh, might mean something to you. It says, My fear is that our people will become content to live without the fire, the power, the excitement, the, supermat- the supernatural element that makes us great. And to me, this is the very thing that we're talking about. Because we like to say, you know, I can only do what my hands can do. But we don't let God move in our situation or move in our life. And, and maybe it's in regards to healing or it's in regards to, to time, like I felt like I was out of time. Maybe it, I mean, everyone's situation is different. But we live in a generation that's depressed, that's full of anxiety, all this other stuff, and life is moving so fast. And we think, you know, okay, I got to get this done, this done, this done, this done, this done. But we never take time to see, you know, God, what do you want to do? We don't expect the supernatural to even happen anymore. We just rely on what our physical hands can do, and if we can't do it, then I guess it's not supposed to get done. But see, we're pretty good at, uh, at missing the boat. And, you know, this, this is just free. This doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about. But uh, I feel like that's for somebody. Because some of you feel like you're running around and life's throwing everything at you that it can. And you're stressed out and all this different stuff. But the exact song that Abigail sung about, you know, God has it all. So in all of your frustration and all of your panic and all of this other stuff, just let go of it. And let God be God. Because we can't try to be God and God still do what he wants in our life. If you didn't know, today is uh, Pentecost Sunday. And to me, honestly, a lot of people don't, don't even know that. And I feel like Pentecost Sunday is equally, should be equally celebrated as Christmas, Easter, any of that stuff. Because yes, we need the gift uh, that Christ gave us by dying on the cross so that we could have a relationship with God again. But that's not where, we think that like that's where our relationship stops. Like, okay, I accepted Christ, done. 
But see, the Holy Spirit is the, the empowering element that we need to live our life. And see, we can't be running around without it. Or else we're going to find ourselves in the place that I was talking about. So let's uh, do something that's good also to do in church. Praying's good. Um, also, reading your Bible is good. So if you want to open up to Acts chapter 2, we're going to talk about this. Okay, so Acts chapter 2 says, On the day of Pentecost, all believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house uh, where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and every one presented was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation in Jerusalem. Uh, when they heard the loud noise, everything uh, everybody came running, and there were, uh, they were bewildered to hear their own language being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are from Galilee, yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here are a whole bunch of people that we're not going to read. And, uh, <laughs> and they all stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others uh, in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, They're just drunk, that's all. Then Peter stepped forward with the eleven other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake uh, about this. These people are not drunk. Some of you are assuming it's nine o'clock in the morning. And he starts going through this whole deal of everything that's happened, right? He starts telling, preaching the gospel. And what's interesting is, is that if you think about this, can you imagine the things that, that the apostles were feeling whenever they were in this room? I'd imagine they had to have been, you know, some of them probably scared. Um, some maybe, you know, grieving. Christ is, is, is gone. I mean, yeah, he appeared to them but, and told them to be in that room. But they saw what happened to Christ. Some of them had denied uh, Jesus as he was being crucified. You know, you got to imagine, well... Should I be fearful for my life? Am I? You know, all these emotions could have been rolling through them, but there was one thing that was constant, and it was that they were in this room united together. And that's a big key. They were in this place united together, and all of a sudden, you know, the Holy Spirit comes. And I, if you notice, they went from a bunch of people in a room to all of a sudden proclaiming the gospel. You know, if they were scared, they went from scared to fearless. You know, if they were depressed that Jesus was gone, they went from depressed to joyful. They went from whatever it is, whatever you want to say, they went from here to the far extreme of being in the streets proclaiming the gospel. So they weren't scared anymore. Think about it. Like we were talking about in the Rise Up study. Think about this. Peter denied Christ three times. Um, anytime something got hard, you know, that's what happened. He denied Christ. And yet Peter is the one that addresses the crowd in this story. So we're seeing two different Peters. Jesus talked about Peter being the rock on which he would build his church. But the rock that denied Christ three times doesn't seem like a very strong rock. But now you're going to tell me that all of a sudden uh, 
uh, he's changed. Something changed him. It was the Holy Spirit. And see, he went from worried about how his life was going to result in regard to his action to fearless because he had the power of the Holy Spirit and he knew that no matter what circumstance nor uh, height nor depth nor anything else wasn't going to be able to separate him from Christ's love. And it also gave him the boldness to proclaim the gospel. But see, the problem is is that we live in a church and a world today that hardly has any affiliation with the Holy Spirit. Most of the time, it's more of a, a talk of division rather than, than unity. You know? But the point of it all, if you look there, there's a scripture in, uh, in 42, I believe it is, in Acts 2.42, that all of the, after, after the Holy Spirit fell, thousands of people got saved and then they became this unified body that uh, had a deep sense of awe of the Lord. And every single day, people were added to the church. But the thing that's lost is the Holy Spirit. The thing that's lost is the deep sense of awe that we have for God. The very thing that Abigail was singing about. He's done all of this stuff for us. And he put himself out there, sacrificed and crucified on the cross on the off chance that you might choose him in return. Are you guys still awake? I Don't make me do my ninja kick. If not, I'll make Landon do it. He can probably do it better. But see, we went from a church that was running and hiding to a church that is boldly proclaiming and growing. And to me, that's the difference. That's all you need to hear today. I said, that's the difference. If you want to go from depressed to joyful, be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you want to go from scared to fearless, get filled with the Holy Spirit. That's all it is. It's as, it's as simple as that. Because I, I was silent if I want to show this, but I saw this girl that I've known uh, for a long time the other day. And this girl, um, you know, she's, in my opinion, she's always had this, this void in her heart. And uh, she tried to find it in men. She tried to find it in women. She tried to find it in changing her gender. She tried to find it in all of these different things. But the one thing that she's missing is the satisfying and the fulfillment that only Jesus can provide. And we've all been there. You know? I had a heart that was the same way. I've seen people try to fill it in alcohol. I've seen people try to fill it in drugs. I've seen people try to fill it in all these different things. It doesn't just have to be the other things that I mentioned. There's a lot of things that people try to fill this void with. And only Jesus can can fill that void. But see, we have a church today that's so scared to proclaim the gospel that these people aren't hearing. What will satisfy them? We're too scared to share the gospel with someone on the off chance we might offend them. But the truth is, is that if we really love them, we would tell them. Not in a condemning and and harsh way, but out of love. But there's a whole lot of people out there 
who need what we're talking about. And the deal is, is that we're supposed to be this, this unified body that represents the kingdom of God. And I don't know what this means to you, but if I told you that your citizenship is in heaven, what does that mean? That one day whenever I die, I get to go to heaven? Praise God, but that's not it. To be a citizen of heaven, like whenever I go to Liberia here, I'm still a U.S. citizen. I may go there, I love the ministry that we do, all this different stuff, but in the back of my mind, I'm thinking I'm going to go home in a few days, in a short time, I'm going to go home. And I'm still an American. And the same thing applies to us, is that we're citizens of heaven, which means that right here and right now, that citizenship is ours. And we're supposed to present ourselves in a way that's in representation of the God that we serve. But the deal is, is that we're supposed to be this, like Joel's class is talking about, we're supposed to be this colony of heaven. And that's what the Holy Spirit is. It's, it's the, the wonders and the signs of heaven here on earth. Whether it's, you know, we've seen people get healed, we've seen tongues and interpretation, we've seen all these different things, but every one of those spiritual gifts that everyone debates about is only to bring people back to God. And so whenever we have this community established, the Holy Spirit is supposed to be the thing that identifies and stamps like, hey, these are my people. And it's supposed to be the signs and wonders that draw people back in. Something, uh, a community that people want to be a part of. But the thing is, in, in, in the church of today, you know, denomination can't even get along with denomination. People can't get along with other people. And there's this spirit of division and all this other stuff that's occurring within the body. And why would anyone want to be a part of that? It's not a representation of who God is. It's not a representation of the God that we serve. But it all comes together. Without that unity, then we're nothing. Because like, there's a reason. It's interesting that in 1 Corinthians, whenever it talks about in... Uh, in 12, it talks about the gifts. Uh, in 13, it talks about love. And then uh, it talks about uh, more gifts in 14. But in the middle there, it talks about the body and how we're all one body and one accord. And it leads me to believe that the flow of the Holy Spirit is dependent on how unified the body is. Because it's hard for the, the Holy Spirit to function if the parts of the body are divided, right? Blood can't go to my arm if uh, Weston comes up and chops it off, right? Do you know what I'm saying? You guys are sleeping. Good grief. Okay, we're waking up this morning. I want you guys to go uh, to a very likely place to talk about the Holy Spirit in 1 Kings 18. And I'm going to read you a story. And uh, I want you to think about this because I think by the end of it, you're going to realize that you've heard it before. All right? So in 1 Kings 18, 16, it says, So Obadiah went to tell Ahab that Elijah had come, and Ahab went out uh, to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, So is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? I have made no trouble with Israel, Elijah replied. You and your family are the troublemakers, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord 
uh, and worshipped the images of Baal instead. Now summon all of the uh, summon all of Israel to join me at Mount uh, Carmel, along uh, with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Esra, who were supported by Jezebel. So Ahab summoned uh, all the people of Israel, and the prophets met him. Then Elijah stood in front of them, or yeah, stood in front of them and said, "How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him." But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord that is left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish, uh, cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of the altar, but without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood of the altar and will not set it on fire. Then... Call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. Whosoever God answers uh, by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the people agreed. So we got quite the little, uh, little matchup going on here. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, You go first, for there are many of you. Choose one bull and prepare it and, cut, uh, and prepare it and call on the name of your God, but do not set fire to it. So they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. Then they said the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, O Baal, answer us. But there was no uh, reply of any kind. They danced, hobbling around the altar that they made. About noon, Elijah began mocking them. You have to shout louder, he scoffed, for surely he is God. Perhaps he is daydreaming or relieving himself. Or maybe he is away on a trip or is asleep and needs to be awoken. So they shouted louder, and following their normal customs, they cut themselves uh, with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but there was still no sound, no reply, no response. Then Elijah called to the people, come over here. They all crowded around him as he uh, repaired the altar the Lord had been torn down. He took 12 stones, one to represent each tribes of Israel, and he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. He dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled the wood on the altar, cut the bowl into pieces, and laid, uh, laid it on the wood. Then he said, fill far, four large jars of water and pour it over the offering in the wood. After they had done this, he said, do the same thing again. And when they were finished, he said, now do it a third time. So they did as he said, and the water ran uh, out into the altar and filled up the trench. At the time of the usual offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah, prof, uh, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are the God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this to your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so all these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up the water in the trench. And when the uh, people saw it, they fell down their face to the ground. The Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Then Elijah commanded, seize all the prophets of Baal, don't let a single one escape. So he seized the people, or yeah, so all the people seized them, and Elijah took them down to the Kishon Valley and killed them there. Have you heard that before? I'm not just talking about the story. I'm saying, does this apply to what we're talking about? 
Do you see the similarities? Because these 450 prophets of Baal, if you think about this, whenever Jesus came, the, the people were, they were worshiping somebody, but that somebody was Caesar. Because you see, Caesar was proclaiming that he was God. And Jesus came and he said that I am the son of God, that he is Lord. And so there's this, as Joel's class calls it, a clash of kingdoms, okay? There's two going head to head. And uh, to me, it, it amazes me, the faith of, of Elijah. You know, if you think about that, the stuff that he was doing, he's, he's just laying out there. He says, hey, let me prove to you. And so let me point out something else that may sound similar. So there was three things of... Uh, three different times that they poured water on his sacrifice. Why? So it would be hard to light, right? How many days was it that Jesus rose from the dead? Three. Okay. So that's kind of similar. And then after the sacrifice was prepared, Jesus, um, after the sacrifice was prepared, then this fire came down and burned up the sacrifice. Sounds pretty similar. And the reason that this is important is that today, and, and all of this all of this parallel, at the very end, if you look in First uh, Kings, it's the very next storyline headline there. There was a drought season during this time. Huge drought and all this different stuff. And after this happens and the people repent and they come back to the Lord, rain starts falling. And to me, rain in the Old Testament always uh, shows God's spirit. And so after this fire comes down on the sacrifice, then now all of a sudden there's this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Does that sound similar? Whenever the Holy Spirit fell in Acts? Because people, the reason that I bring this up is because a lot of times people will try to explain away the Holy Spirit. They'll try to tell you why uh, the gifts of the Spirit are uh, went out with the apostles. They'll try to tell you all this different stuff of how healing doesn't happen and how tongues don't happen and how all this different stuff. But the root of it all, the point of it all, is that God uses all of this stuff to bring people back to himself and everything that he's done throughout the Bible. If it's back to the Israelites in Egypt, he brought them out of slavery to bring them back to himself. Because that was the point of it all. That was the problem in the very beginning, is that he wanted to use this to bring people back to himself. Now, this sacrifice that was lit on fire is the representation that God was real, right? That this was the God of Israel. Now, you, uh-oh, now you are the living sacrifice. That is the demonstration that there is a God in Israel, and until you come and you understand that you have been called uh, to be this living demonstration of what God's kingdom represents, then your life's going to remain the same. But praise God that we have a God that whenever his Holy Spirit comes, change happens, right? Because just like I was talking about earlier, whenever we have something empty in our heart and we're trying to find that thing that will satisfy us and we look for it in uh, women or alcohol or whatever it is, that God will come and he'll fill that void because it was meant for him in the very beginning. And once that gets filled, then change happens. Praise God that I don't live the same life that I lived before. You know what I'm saying? He doesn't, 
He doesn't change us uh, with burden. I promise you that you'll want the change that the Lord provides. Are you with me? I feel like you're sleeping. Are you sleeping? Are you ready to go home or something? Okay. Because I'm telling you, if a church, just if the people in this room would understand the importance of the Holy Spirit in your life, I promise you that this world will not look the same. And I literally mean the world. I'm not just talking about some figurative thing. I'm literally talking about the world. And you might say, oh, that's kind of far-fetched. Well, there was only 12 disciples, and somehow here in Oakton, Missouri, population 36, we're all here gathered this morning talking about Jesus Christ. And so at some point it got to you, and it only got to you by you sharing and by the demonstrations that you saw. And praise God that we've seen people healed of cancer. We've seen, I mean, just miracle after miracle after miracle that I can't even give you justice. And, the God, and God has been faithful. And what I'm trying to tell you today is that no matter how crazy your life may seem, no matter anything else that's going on, God still wants to do something in you. And until we go out and expect the supernatural to happen, until we go out and expect God's Holy Spirit to fall, until we go to Liberia and expect people to be one to the Lord and for signs and wonders to accompany that, it's not going to happen. Because we got to stop looking down at our hands saying, hey, this is all I can do. And we need to start looking to God and say, hey, God, what do you want me to do? And as the, uh, as the praise team comes up, I think in about every, every class that I've taught in the last few weeks, this common thread has always left my mouth, and I think about it after, but I want you to consider this. It doesn't matter who we bring in here to speak. We could bring the greatest preachers of the gospel, right? We could bring in the John Beveres. We can bring in the Chip Brims. We can bring in all of these different people, but it literally means nothing until you do something with it. It doesn't matter how much understanding you have. Just like uh, Francis Chan was saying in one of the classes that I was talking about, he says, uh, you know, if I told my kid to go clean her room, she's not going to come back to me a few hours later and say, Dad, I understand what you said. I can even say it in Greek, but my room's still not clean. It's not going to turn out very well for her. And it's the exact same way with us. You can understand all you want to, but until you just do what the Word says, it's not going to matter. And what I'm telling you is, is that you need to take the Holy Spirit seriously. You need to take God seriously and, and, and the purpose that He has for your life, because if you're still here, there's a reason for it. And you're walking on a path that was paved for you thousands and thousands of years before you were even here. And until you understand that, the rest doesn't matter. So I guess that's my, uh, that's my thought for you today. Maybe some of you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'd be happy to pray with you if you want. But all it takes is just saying, God, I want to do whatever you want me to Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Let me approach you with humility, not in pride. And I'll do whatever you ask. And the rest will take care of itself. It really will.